All right, friends, well, let's get to the message. I am so honored that you would tune in this morning, that you would spend part of your Sunday morning with us. And we are, as a staff here, we're so grateful that you are a part of this church family, that we get to be a part of your church family. And in this season, we were about to start another series. I think we were a couple of weeks in, and this whole pandemic thing broke, and we shifted. We made a quick shift, and we've been in a series most weeks, if it hasn't been, most of the weeks that I've been speaking, we've been talking from a series that we're calling Fear Not, and the subtitle is Finding Peace in an Anxious World. Because, uh, like, I don't need to tell you that the world really is anxious right now, right? Um, people are scared, and they are actually reacting in some really peculiar ways. They're, they're looking for someone to blame. They're looking for somebody to be, you know, mad at oftentimes, and it's out of fear, right? I've even seen, sadly, just some Christians who are spreading conspiracy theories and kind of entertaining a lot of these conversations that, that really kind of don't jive with, with how we as lights of the world and believers in Christ want to be representing to the rest of the world. And we're not alone, and it's easy to get sucked into this, especially in the culture that we live in, because what these kind of reactivity uh, things do, what those reactions do, is it gives uh, fear and anxiety really a stranglehold on our culture and on ourselves as well. See, times of anxiety and trial like the one that we are in globally right now, they have a way of, of really shining a bright spotlight on us. And that spotlight that it shines really helps us to kind of honestly see what is true and what's actually going on. See, this bright shining light that's shining on us in the middle of even this pandemic. Actually, it's not just like a, a bad thing like, ooh, that's, that's, that's ugly, although it shows that. But, but there's some good stuff that this bright light is shining as well. It, it shows some good things. That light turned on and we see some beautiful things that are happening. Uh, folks here at Hope Covenant who are finding incredible ways to love and serve the people around them. Uh, I'm so proud of many of the women at Hope who got together and started making, well, got together separately from their own households and started making homemade masks for healthcare workers at Banner and then for the memory care facility that we are connected with where Jim leads a, uh, a ministry to this memory care place. And they, they didn't just stop there. Then they started making masks for the Navajo reservation and a children's home and a church up on the Navajo res. And I'm so proud that when the light shined, that was a reaction. We got to see that kind of thing happen. The light shined of this crazy pandemic, and, and it shines on the generosity of the people at Hope. You who helped to restock food shelves and hygiene supplies for the parents and families who, who come to the Chandler Care Center over in the Chandler School District right here in our own city. Um, it's a beautiful thing, right? The, the light shined brightly. It revealed creativity, innovation, and in putting together new ways of connecting and loving each other as a church through, through online groups, through the hope hug signs, through phone calls uh, where we've been checking on each other, through a prayer team, again, who's getting requests for prayer from people that don't even go to church here, but they see the sign as they drive by. Uh, it's shining a light on some of the beautiful and strong things. Um, and the truth is that light shines brightly. It reveals areas that are not so strong, 
things that if we're just looking at ourselves as a church, we are recognizing need to be strengthened. Um, So it's not all wonderful and perfect. And when the light shines, what we want to do is trust Jesus with all of it. Trust that he is good, that he has our back, that he's not trying to shame us or judge us. But we want to see what he sees and what he shines a light on, the good, the bad, and the ugly. because, Because light does that. Light reveals what is true. Uh, Stuff that we're glad to see, and maybe sometimes, especially personally in our own lives, things that we'd maybe rather hide. But if we trust that the light of Jesus is good, that he loves us, then we'll know that we don't need to hide. We can trust that his light is good. We don't have to hide even from the embarrassing parts or the weaknesses that show up when that light comes on. Because when the light reveals weakness, you and I have a choice. We can, if we want, when the light comes, we hide, we shield, we blame, we run away, we get angry, we we might cover up, we might isolate from people even more than what's required from the social distancing, we just want to hide. Or, instead of that, we can let that light shine, we can invite Jesus into it, we can begin the process of transformation around those weaknesses to become more of who he says we already are. And so I've been asking myself the past few weeks, and especially this week, so what has the pandemic revealed about me? Like when the light shines, what are some of the good things that I'm seeing? Like, oh, okay, that's, that's actually good. That's a strength. Thank you, God, for changing me, forming me, shaping me there. But I also want to be willing, and it's not hard to be willing, and it's not hard for me to see when the light shines, that there's some stuff that I am not so excited about, not so maybe even proud of, uh, because there's areas that are yet to be transformed into who Christ calls me to be and declares that I am. And again, because I trust him, I don't have to hide or be in shame. I can really trust that he's doing me a favor because he wants to strengthen me. Now, a few weeks ago, we started poking around at this idea from the book of James and the New Testament, and the idea basically is seeing how good things can come from us going through hard times. And James, in the passage we're about to look at again here, he says that we can actually even find not just good things, but joy in our sufferings. And the primary passage we've been unpacking is out of James 1, where it says, consider it Pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Verse 4 says, let perseverance finish its work. Let it finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And I think about this and go, wow, you know, listen, here's the deal. The truth is, we don't like pain, right? But here James is saying we're supposed to put the category of pain and trials into the category of pure joy? Like, that seems a little weird, honestly, doesn't it, right? I mean, I have to be honest. When trials come my way, I don't immediately consider it pure joy, right? When suffering happens, I don't automatically, you know, rejoice. See, I I know that we actually, as a culture, we have a word for people who actually like pain, and it isn't a good word, right? Like, do you know, if you were in the room, we'd have a bunch of votes right here, right? But do you know the word for somebody who actually likes suffering? Yeah, we call those folks Arizona Cardinals fans, so. 
Listen, all right, okay, listen, listen. Before you boo too much in the comments here, I'm a fan of both the Cardinals and the Vikings. So, like, I'm twice as miserable, all right? Hopefully, that develops in me some, you know, perseverance. Um, <clears throat> maybe masochism's a better word. I don't know. Anyway, where were we? Um, uh, here in verse 4, um, I like what James says uh, in, in his passage. He says something that gives me a little bit of hope. He says, in the process of going through trials, that we can end up mature and complete, not lacking anything. Other versions uh, say, you will be fully formed, um, which gives us this picture of this gradual process of transformation. It connects the dots for us just a little bit. So he's saying, if we go along with the process, if we go along with the testing and don't try to just bail out, there's actually some good news. James here says that God can, can use it. God can use it <laughs> in shaping and refining us. Now, if you were tuned in a couple of weeks ago, I talked about that word testing there in verse 3 and how it means to apply intense heat. That's what testing means, apply, a tense, apply intense heat. Like, like where metal is heated up and it's melted, um, and in the process of the melting, the impurities in that metal will float to the top where they can be skimmed off. And then the cooling process happens, and you've got now a stronger, purer metal and by the way, just because something's stronger or purer, it doesn't mean God likes you better, right? That's not the case. No, no, um, we're simply just stronger. We're actually able to bear more weight. We're actually more able to be helpful under pressure. So, James is saying trials and testing, although they're not fun, you could have joy because it's going to result in something good, it's similar to the picture I opened with of how the light shines and reveals things so we can see what's just actually honestly there. When the heat is cranked up, uh, the heat of a trial, the heat of life, all my stuff floats to the surface. And while it might be embarrassing, and while honestly my initial reaction is usually that I want to hide it, because I don't want to see it, I don't want others to see it, or, or I want to shift the blame, I want to distract people from seeing it for what it is, Instead of doing that, what I could do, what I'm trying to learn to do, is to confess it, to admit it, to say it out loud, yeah, that's true, that's true, and then to ask God to transform it, maybe to bring me healing, freedom, as he skims off that piece and brings me into a deeper place, a place that we call transformation. The Bible calls it transformation. When we are refined and we are transformed, we become more mature, as this passage says, more complete. Um, we become stronger. We are actually able to bear the weight of difficulties, to bear the weight of trials, to bear the weight the next time around of stress and pressure. And honestly, wouldn't most of us want that? Wouldn't most of us like to have that as a part of our life? See, the Apostle Paul says something very similar to what James said in Romans, where he writes this, verse 3 out of Romans 5, he says, Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And that's such a beautiful train and trace of what happens, right? Suffering can produce perseverance. We're going to stay in it. We're going to be stronger. Staying in it, being stronger, actually produces, perseverance produces 
character, and then character. As our character is strengthened and formed, it produces hope. Now listen, I have to admit to you, I like to skip right ahead to that hope part, right? <laughs> I want to go straight to hope. Take me straight to hope, right? Uh, right past the suffering, right into hope. But that word there, character, it got me thinking and realizing that as suffering does come, as we end up with that perseverance through going through suffering, there must be ways in which our character changes or becomes fully formed as a result of going through our junk, through the difficulty, through the trial. So when we, back to James, let it grow, when we let it have its work, when we don't try to bail out of it or get out of it, we will be fully formed. Good things will grow in us. We will mature. We will grow up. We will be fully formed even through painful trials. But friends, there's no guarantee of that happening, right? You know that, right? Like you could probably think of some people in your own life and story, people that have gone through great amounts of pain, and when they come out the other side, they're not mature. Their character is not shaped, but they're angry. They're bitter. They're defensive towards everybody. And maybe for good reason, right? Somebody hurt them, maybe betrayed them. They never faced that wound. They never dealt with that wound. And now if you get anywhere near that wound, whew, look out, right? You might know what I mean. Like if you have ever unknowingly stepped on somebody's you know, pain landmine and they lashed out at you, maybe exploded on you or even surprised you by really having a number 10 reaction to a three infraction, um, and maybe it's happened to you again and again, and so you've learned to tiptoe around that landmine, um, you know <laughs> to be careful, to back off. Uh, maybe you've heard the saying before, um, hurt people hurt people. And yeah, for them, their trial, their difficult life experience did not result in perseverance, did not result in character, it didn't result in more compassion or empathy or humility. They are now wounded and now wounding towards others. They are passing out the pain that they received. They are giving it back to anyone and everyone. So pain doesn't always <laughs> result in transformation, not of the good kind. But I bet you do know, on the other hand, people who have gone through tremendously painful experiences and come out the other side with a deeper character, with a deeper strength. They've come out more compassionate, more tender. They've come out more loving, more kind. I think of one of my closest friends who's now a doctor in another state. And years ago, I remember talking with him about this. And, and he talked about how he was devastated. Um, their family was devastated when his young niece had drowned. But later he said that he could see this connection between how that horrible loss softened his heart and actually cultivated more compassion in him as he now dealt with patients in his practice as a physician. Um, I, I can think of a guy that I know who was, I know him very well. He was unjustly fired by a church. He was angry. He was hurt. He was frustrated. And, and listen, I could tell you lots of stories of pastors who, after a bad experience like that, and there sadly are far too many of those, um, but pastors who just walk away from church, 
never to come back. Um, Some who even have walked away from faith. But this pastor, he pressed through it. He let it shape him, let it form him. He came out the other side with compassion and understanding and humility. And today, lots of us who are pastors that know him, we trust him. We trust him to help us through when we are going through hard situations, especially in church settings. Um, So you can come out (laughs) formed and transformed. Um, I think of the divorce that I went through in the last decade. Many of you have heard me tell that story. And as painful as that was, and um, how I would never want to go back and go through that again, I can see that there were some good things that were formed in me during that trial. Honestly, listen, there's still places in my life that sometimes something pops up and I realize, wow, I need deeper healing in me. But one of the good things that resulted in that, uh, out of that painful season um, for me is that now there are other pastors and ministry leaders who I've been surprised at the beginning that they, that they trust me with their struggles. Um, sometimes when they don't feel like they can talk to anybody else, they've watched me walk through what I walked through, and uh, it's never been easy. I never pasted a smile on it or threw little Bible verses and cliches at it at all. I admitted how hard and painful and awful it was. But God did some shaping. He did some forming. And I am honored by the trust now that comes on the other side of that, of a painful experience. And there's so many stories of people in our own church who have gone through tragedy, gone through trauma, and you've come out the other side, not bitter, but wanting to help. You've come out more trusted, more formed, closer to Jesus. See, suffering can lead to perseverance, which leads to character, which leads, according to the Apostle Paul, it leads to hope. And sometimes that hope that we receive after all that mess and after all that trial and through that huge process, it's enough hope that we actually can give some hope to people who desperately need hope. And I wonder if maybe some of that is, is part of the seeing joy in our trials, knowing that when we have pain that happens, it doesn't have to be wasted, which I think could actually help to know that while I'm going through this and I'm not just thinking down the line of helping somebody else with my experience or telling my story, um, but it does help sometimes to know that once I'm through it, maybe somebody else could be encouraged or given hope seeing how um, God brought me through this, through my own stuff. Maybe it'll help them through their stuff. So when I think about trials, and a lot of times the way we talk about trials is we had a trial happen and woo, it surfaced something and we partnered with God and woohoo, we won, we passed the test. It was wonderful, it was great, it was glorious. Thank you, Jesus, I'm on to the next level, higher and higher, deeper and deeper in my faith. But let's just get really honest. Romans chapter 8 says, that we know that in all things, God works together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. It doesn't say in some things. It says in all things, which presses me into wondering, all things? (laughs) All things? What about when I go through a test or a trial and I blow it? 
What about, what about when I fail, when the trial comes and I fail? What if what the trial reveals is that I'm really weak in this area? Like, like when I blew it, when I didn't pass the test, when the heat got turned up and I completely melted down and I failed, I, I, I didn't lead, I went into panic mode, I projected fear into all my environments, I blamed my boss or my coworkers for my angst. What happens when trials produce that kind of results? Are they a waste? Because if God works in all things for my good, that might give me a little place to wonder um, what happens with the stuff that floats for the, to the top again and I deny or ignore or fail or blow it? Stuff gets surfaced so I can deal with it so that I could maybe grow a little bit or be a little stronger, but instead I, I don't. I really screw it up, royally screw it up. Can he redeem that stuff? Well, this question kind of leads me to a great character in the New Testament, um, a guy named Peter. Uh, those of you that know anything about the Gospels know that one of Jesus' disciples, maybe one of the most colorful characters in Jesus' 12 disciples circle here, is a guy named Simon Peter. And if you know anything about him, um, you just kind of think of him as this disciple and you read the stories and he's a great guy. Like when he first became a disciple, he was just on fire, man. He loved Jesus. He was this, this impulsive, passionate, risk-taking guy. You would love him. You would love him. I mean, one of my favorite stories is this one story where, where one day Peter is in the boat with the other disciples. There's a storm raging. Jesus isn't in the boat. And all of a sudden they see, they think it's a ghost. It's Jesus walking on the water towards them. You remember that story? And Peter was the only disciple that didn't just go, whew, okay, Jesus is going to rescue us. He sees Jesus walking on the water and he goes, hey, Jesus, tell me to come. Like, so I can walk on water, right? Jesus says, come. And this wild man gets out of the boat. I mean, come on. I mean, who cares, really? Like, you know the story. Like, who cares that he only walked on water for a little bit before he started sinking? He was the only one who even asked if he could try. So I, I just love Peter. There's a lot of great things to this awesome dude Simon Peter, um, he's the dude, right? And the dude abides, right? Okay. Peter is awesome. If you know that movie reference, let me know later. All right. But a few years into his training as a disciple, one day Jesus said the most troubling thing to Simon Peter. I'm going to read it in just a second here, but I got to tell you before I read it that if Jesus said to me what I'm about to tell you that he said to Peter, I would be freaking out, Okay. It's out of Luke 22. Here's what Jesus said. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you like wheat. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. Like Jesus is saying, Peter, you are going to be sifted like wheat. One translation explains it this way. One translation says, um, to test you. Peter, to test you, to separate the good from the bad as a farmer separates the wheat from the chaff, which does not sound like any fun at all, okay? Verse 32, Jesus still speaking, says this, but I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. 
So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Like, Simon, you're about to go through this refining trial. Jesus says, but I've prayed for you when this process of sifting, this, this in our metaphor, this intense heat, when it's finished, and it says, when you have turned again, when this intense heat, which is going to humiliate you, because Peter, your impurities and your arrogance, it's going to rise to the top where everybody in the world can see them. In fact, Peter, listen, it's going to be so bad that people will still be talking about it 2,000 years later at a little church called Hope Covenants. <laughs> That's how bad it's going to be. And here's how Peter responds, verse 33, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you, even to die with you. Like Peter responds to what Jesus says, kind of blows right past it and says, no, 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 listen, Jesus. Essentially, he's saying, hey, no way, Jesus, not me. I mean, I know you're God and all, but you're wrong about this one. I will never deny. I can do this. I will do this. Maybe the rest of these clowns, they're going to deny you, Jesus, but not me. I'm the strong one, remember? I'm the brave and bold one, remember? Like, I'm a leader here, Jesus. And verse 34, Jesus tells him, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times, not just once, three times that you even know me. You're not even going to just leave me and fall away. You're going to deny you even know who I am by tomorrow morning, three times. And if you read the story of Jesus' arrest and trial, we see that scene unfold three times where this self-assured, cocky, poser Peter denies Jesus three times. See, Peter's sifting was a massive failure. In fact, it was so bad, fast forward here to after Jesus had been crucified and put in the grave, and suddenly we find that he has risen again. It was so bad. His situation with Peter was so bad. He was so ashamed that when the angel told the people who first came to the empty tomb that Jesus has risen, Jesus is alive, here's what the angel said in Mark chapter 16, verse 6, he has risen, he's not here, but go tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead in Galilee, and there you will see him, just as he told you. And I love that phrase, so peculiar. Go tell his disciples and Peter. You know, if you ever wonder if Peter was so beat up and filled with shame that he thought maybe he was on the outs, I think that's even part of proof of it right there. Even the angels knew, hey, in case he doesn't think he's qualified anymore, go tell the disciples and Peter, right? Him too, big bold Peter, he's all brash. He bragged about being the one who would never deny Jesus, the one who failed most spectacularly, probably believed that he was no longer worthy to be a follower of Jesus. He had forgotten what we just read from Luke 22. I'm sure that just had been washed away about falling away, returning, strengthening his brothers then? I mean, it was so bad. If it was so bad that the angel had to make sure that Jesus wanted Peter to know he was alive, go to the, tell the disciples and Peter, right? Um, it, it's a beautiful thing. And I don't have time to read it this morning, but, but go to John chapter 21 this week and read about uh, Jesus and Peter's face-to-face -face meeting. It's a beautiful story. And in that John chapter 21 story, Jesus asks Peter three times, just 
in parallel with the three times that, that, that Peter denied Jesus, he asks him three times, do you, do you love me, Peter? Do, do you love me? Three times. Uh, it's a beautiful and much deeper story, but, but then Jesus restores Peter, Peter who's now been humbled. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And even knowing that makes more sense of that Luke 22 passage that we looked at that's back on the screen here. And in, in verse 32, again, where Jesus says, you're going to be sifted. <laughs> Simon, you're going to be sifted and you're going to need to repent. You're going to need to turn back to me after you blow it. And Peter, I'm going to give you a little foretaste here. When you press through that, don't bail out on it. Don't run away from it. Don't deny it or pretend or blame or point to everybody else. When you press through, then I'm going to restore you so that you will be able to come back and strengthen your brothers. Dave Johnson points this out about that. He says, do you know why Peter could come back afterwards and strengthen his brothers? Because he went through and had endurance. And then Dave adds, and do you know what people who go through and experience that have? They have joy. They have joy. They have something to offer. They have strength to offer to others even. And I'm sure, I think it's pretty safe to say that Jesus used Peter's failure to create dependence, humility, um, to learn to trust God's ability in him instead of his own ability, his own determination, to trust God's confidence instead of his own fleshly confidence, his own cockiness. I mean, I can imagine maybe even going through the mind of Jesus, wishing he would even have a moment to unpack this even deeper. Uh, I, I wonder if Jesus would have said to Peter, hey, you're going to deny me, Peter, and you're going to be sifted, and you will fail. Um, I kind of think Jesus is saying, Peter, you're going to hit the wall. <laughs> Peter, when you hit the wall of a monumental failure, you are then and only then going to recognize in a way that will absolutely change your life that you are not smart enough. <laughs> you're not big enough. You're not strong enough. You're not adequate enough. You're not committed enough. And when you hit the wall, you're going to come up broken. You're going to come up mourning. You're going to come up utterly convinced of your need, Peter, for my amazing grace and that my amazing grace would show up here on out in your life because now, Peter, it's not going to be about you. It's going to be about my power in you. Peter, out of this, you are going to recognize that I am your only hope. I think that's the message Jesus is sending to Peter and when you watch the rest of his life and ministry, um, you find out why he was going to need to be completely dependent to do what God was calling him to do. Because Peter wasn't just going to be a part of a little ruling party to take care of the nation of Israel like he thought and hoped he was strong enough to do and lead that way. No, no, no. Peter needed to become dependent on God to do what God had for him and the other disciples to do, to bring the gospel now to the whole world, to invite everyone to become followers of Jesus, uh, for people to live in the story of God, to live in the kingdom of God that Jesus had introduced and inaugurated and offered for us to walk in. It's a huge job, one Peter never could have done in his own strength. And to do that... He had to hit the wall. 
because he had to know that he was absolutely dependent on the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and not in his own power, not in his own strength, not in his own gifts. And to really come up and really say that that's true and not just nod and say, of course I know that, of course I know that. He actually had to hit the wall. He had to come to the end of himself. And when he did, then and only then, he experienced amazing grace. You know, friends, in this trial, in, in the trials that we experience all through our lifetime, Jesus wants to bring good. Like, I don't believe that he causes all this stuff. He didn't cause it, but he will use it to bring good, to bring formation and transformation somehow, some way. See, even in this one that we're in as a culture, uh, we're in it as individuals as well. It's nice that we're in it together, but there's enough that we wrestle with on our own. But we can start to wonder, how does Jesus want to refine, transform, strengthen us as individuals, even as a church? How does Jesus want to take this suffering and turn it into perseverance, to character, to, to joy even? See, it's great news, really, when all my junk floats to the top <laughs> for everybody to see those weaknesses, the stuff that needs to get dealt with, because it has to get dealt with so that we can see it, that we can process it, so we can actually grow up. So it's really good news in the middle of this kind of pandemic, right? Specifically, the one we're in right now, this kind of pressure reveals the stuff in our life that needs to get dealt with. Like the heat is on in our lives, individually, as families, as a church, as a country. The pressure reveals, it surfaces things. And so as James says, when that happens, let it have its way. Let it do its work. Can we allow Jesus to use even our failures to bring our attention to the things that he wants to heal and transform in us? Can we trust that when he shines a light, we could just let it in? We could let it in and not hide. We could let him heal us. We could let him grow us up. As we close, I think of um, this. You know, maybe you're tuned in this morning and you are someone that goes, I can relate to Peter. <laughs> I've blown it badly. Um, in fact, this trial that we're all in right now, it's revealed weaknesses at home with your family Maybe it's re revealed a, a lack of resiliency for you. Maybe you thought you'd step up in this challenging time. You would demonstrate leadership when the pressure is on and instead you could barely cope. Listen, friends, there's no shame in that. There's no shame. A lot of people feel shame and so they try to hide it or pretend or fake their way out. Just let the light of God shine in a beautiful way that you trust him enough that he will bring healing and goodness when we don't hide, when we take it to him. You know, I've talked to some folks that feel like they've blown it in this crisis because all their old temptations and addictions came roaring back. Um, maybe you're losing your battle with, with porn and you're trying to use it to cope with your pain. It's happening a lot these days. Maybe you're using sex in ways outside of marriage or even inside your marriage where you are using others, maybe even using your spouse, but you're just trying to medicate your pain. You're trying to get past this, ignore it, deny it. 
Maybe you can relate to Peter's massive failure of denying Jesus because in this crisis, the pressure was on. You started spending too much, drinking too much, uh, or using to get high. You're just trying to escape the anxiety of all that seems to be overwhelming you right now. And you go, yep, when the heat was on, I folded, I blew it. Well, listen, friends, guess what? (laughs) If that's you, you're actually in good company. Uh, Because just like Peter, who caved in like like an igloo in the Arizona summer, (laughs) Jesus wants to bring good out of it. He wants to use even our failures to bring healing and wholeness. He wants to bring a formation that results in us being strengthened. So friends, there's grace for you. There's grace for me. And all he asks us to do in this is to recognize where, when he shines his light, there's stuff that isn't pleasing to him or it's not in accordance with what he's called us to live into. Not so that we feel shame and that we hide, but that we would bring it into the light, that we would trust him to bring healing. But that means we're going to have to loosen our grip. We're going to have to surrender this stuff that we hide and cover and duck and don't want to pop up to the top when the heat is on. We keep trying to shove it under. Will you and will I surrender and agree with God, which is the word repentance, is to turn a different direction. That we confess means we agree with God. Yeah, that's, I don't want that. Jesus, will you do something with that? It all begins by letting the light shine and agreeing with God in it. And so as we close with this song, will you let this song be the prayer of your heart? And as we sing, I surrender, I want to know you more. (laughs) Um, Let that be the cry of your heart. As we sing like a rushing wind, Jesus, breathe within. Lord, have your way in me. Will you let it be your prayer? of surrender to this Jesus who just wants to love and heal and strengthen you.